Good morning and welcome to Kirkpatrick Memorial this morning. To those gathering here in person and to those who are joining us from their homes. My name's Nicola, I'm a member here at Kirkpatrick. Normally I'm behind the piano on Sunday mornings, but I'm delighted to move slightly across to the front um, here this morning and have the privilege of leading our service of worship. This morning we're starting a new series for the autumn in the book of Acts called God on the Ground. Acts is the continuation of Luke's account of the ministry of Jesus and the early church. It's the glue between the four Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. We look forward to hearing God speak to us through this series, and specifically as we gather this morning. And the children should all have received various pages about the passage we're doing this morning, so you can enjoy doing that during the service. Adults, sorry, it's not for you. (laughs) Um, So our call to worship this morning is taken from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. We're going to do that now together as we start by singing the hymn, Behold Our God. Let us pray together. Let's pray. Father God, we come today and praise you, for you are like no other. You were before all things, you created all things, and in you all things are held together. We know that all that is good comes from you, and all that is not shows us of our need for you, of our unworthiness in the sight of your holiness. And yet Jesus came to earth as your plan that we could be restored to relationship with our creator. Thank you that we know you and can gather here today to worship and praise you. Lord, we confess that this week we have failed to reflect your goodness to the world around us. In the evil we have done and in the good that we have not done. Help us to daily repent and seek to walk with you through life and see our character become more and more Christ-like. God, we ask you to help us this morning. Your Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts. Allow us to focus on what you are saying to us through Paul. That we would go out from here enthused to spend time in your word and in prayer this week. Be with us. Amen. Now, boys and girls, I just need to go and get my prop. This is very exciting. Now, I'm wondering, can anyone guess what is inside this bag? I think some people know what day it was in my house yesterday, so they might know. Isabel? A balloon. Yes, a special balloon. not the letter E, as we were saying in our house, it's the number nine, because we had a ninth birthday in our house yesterday. So there you go. Now, anyone who knows my family also, there's some people here who are in Rory's class. Rory was six just at the end of June. He wanted to know, could we keep the six helium balloon from his birthday and just turn it upside down? Well, but that can't do that, can we? Because what happened to helium balloon? They, they, go down, don't they, after time? Well, last year, we didn't get to see that happen, Daniel's number eight balloon, because the most awful thing happened to us. We went outside, Daniel got a really cool swing in the garden for his birthday, and we went outside to take a photograph of him. And I thought, it'll be a great idea, let's bring the number eight balloon. Well, can anyone guess what happened, Daniel's, it was a silver one last year, what happened? Andrew, what do you think happened? It went away. Flew up into the sky. Now, has anyone ever had that happen? Grown-ups as well, you might remember, years ago. Isn't it the worst? Well, we all stood sadly watching as this number eight balloon, and it was silver, so against the grey clouds in the sky, it just got small until we could see it no more, and we just stood around and watched. Well, 
there's a story in the Bible. And whenever I see a helium balloon going away slowly and everyone just standing watching it, because you have to keep watching to try and work out, is it going to come down? What's going to happen? Well, in Acts 1, what we're going to read today, we hear about Jesus going up into heaven. And it says that after Jesus had spoken to his disciples, this is the bit from the Bible, he was taken before their very eyes up and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. So, you know whenever you see a helium balloon at a fair or something, you know there's a very sad child watching it, standing, keeping their eye on it. But there's nothing in the Bible to suggest that disciples were sad when they were standing watching Jesus go. I think, to be honest, they were probably a bit more amazed or shocked because they were watching a person go up, not a helium balloon. And the Bible says that after it happened, they didn't stand around and cry, but they went off and they prayed together and they spent time together. They weren't sad because of this. Before Jesus left, he told them that they were to stay in Jerusalem. They were to wait for the Holy Spirit, and then they would get to go and tell the whole world about Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is called the Great Commission. And if any of you are into spy shows or anything like that, you might see the characters getting a special mission. And really, that's what Jesus had left the disciples with. They weren't left sadly looking into the sky after Jesus because they were excited about the work they were being called to do here on earth with the help of the Holy Spirit. But you know what's even more exciting for us? We are also called to be part of that mission, and Jesus can work through us as well. Now, we aren't the disciples in the early church telling people about Jesus for the very first time, but maybe for you, the mission might be to be kind and helpful in your classroom, or to tell your friend about the things you're learning in church or at home with your family, or maybe writing letters to old people who are living in care homes. There are lots of ways for us to get involved in this great mission as well. Now, we're going to sing a song now. It's called Lord, I Lift Your Name on High, which I'm not sure all the children will know, but the grown-ups definitely will. And I picked it because if you listen to the words, it very clearly tells us about what Jesus did, including about going back up into the sky and back to heaven. So we're going to stand and sing that now. Our reading today is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go up into heaven. Amen. Good morning, everyone, and thank you to Nicola for leading us in worship this morning. So I want to start by 
telling you about an article I stumbled across this week. Um, It caught my attention. It's written by a peer of the realm, as it happens, Lord Griffiths, who is a professing Christian, I discovered. The article reflects on Griffiths' experience of the pandemic, and he describes how lockdown taught him to appreciate more the closeness of God. But this was not the case for his close friend, whom he quotes in the article. Here's what his friend had to say about his lesson from lockdown. With God on another one of his extended holidays, we will have to prove we can live without him. With God on another of his extended holidays, we will have to prove we can live without him. Maybe you can have some sympathy with that view. We've spent this last summer asking, who is God? But sometimes it can be hard to reconcile what we know to be true about God with what appears to be going on around us. When faced with crisis, we can very easily find ourselves crying out with the psalmist, where are you, God? But while we might sympathize with the motivation of our anonymous friend's statement, we simply cannot affirm it, can we? Because we know the answer to the question, where are you, God? We know it from Scripture, and we know it from our collective lives. God is on the ground. He's not on extended leave. He is right here with us. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And what we're going to be exploring together over the next few months. In this book, which as you know records the history of the early church, we discover even though Jesus is not physically present in the way he was in the Gospels, God continues to be on the ground, active and living in the real world, moving and working amidst our struggles present with us in our pain, our suffering, and our longing as he draws people to himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I think this is something we need to hear at this particular time in Kirkpatrick. I I joined this family at a time of transition for you, a time of transition and challenge. At present, we're working out how to safely return all our various organizations, and Thank you for your patience with that again. And of course, we're in that ongoing process of calling a new minister. And faced with these challenges, it can be easy to start thinking like Lord Griffith's friend. We can start to think that maybe God's on leave, or at least he's a few steps removed from the process, and that somehow it's all down to us to get through this time of transition. Well, the book of Acts simply won't let us think that way. Not only does it correct the false notion that God has taken a back seat, it disavows us of any misguided idea that we are in charge. So from now until the end of November, we're going to burrow into this book, and we're going to read these stories together on Sunday mornings and in our discipleship groups midweek. Now, if you're not in it, if you're in a discipleship group, you'll know that the pattern's been to dissect the sermon from the previous week when you meet. We're not going to do that this year. We're going to do things slightly differently. We're going to meet and then discuss the next passage in our series in Acts. And hopefully that allows you to take some ownership of this book as we explore it together. 
And can I encourage you on that note, whether you're in a discipleship group or not, to really dig into this book over the next couple of months. Use the preaching schedule that was in the email and which will be available um, hard copies next week uh, to, to read along with us. And if you're not in a DG, well, maybe for this term even, just for the next six weeks or so, six meetings of DG, why don't you join one? Why don't you give it a go and come and open up this book in community? And another little thing you might want to think about is PCI run a daily devotional on email. It's called Tides. And as it happens, this term, they're looking at the book of Acts. So think about signing up to that as well. See, I hope all of these things will inspire and envision us as a congregation as we journey through this book. And as we seek to continue the unfinished story of Acts in our own community here in Ballyhackamore. And today, we're going to set the scene for all of this. I want to take a little bit of time to orientate ourselves in this book and around this big theme we have before us, God on the ground. More specifically, I want to take a close look at these first 11 verses that Nicola read for us as we consider the comfort and the challenge of God on the ground. Maybe we should start with the comfort. We'll leave the challenge to the end. Well, to explain the, the comfort of God on the ground, I need to begin with a bit of a confession. I have an issue with the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And I don't mean the book itself. I mean the traditional title, Acts of the Apostles. And there are lots of good reasons for, for querying this title. For a start, it's not the title Luke gives us, is it? Luke doesn't give us a title at all, in fact. This is just the title that the book came to be known by, by the early church, as it was spread um, between churches, the Acts of the Apostles. But you know, as we read this book, we'll realize it's not really about the apostles. I mean, one of the things we'll notice is that actually the apostles, the 12 disciples, that is, or 11 at the start of Acts, don't really feature in the book very much. The only one who's given any prominence is Peter. And then Peter kind of disappears um, about a third of the way in, and the focus shifts to Paul. But even with Paul, we don't get to see the end of his story either. And so Acts feels a little unfinished to us. But it only feels unfinished because we make the mistake of thinking it's about Peter or Paul or any of the apostles. And we forget that this book is about God, God on the ground. That's why a better name might be, and it is a bit of a mouthful, the acts of Jesus by his spirit through his church. Don't think it's going to catch on, is it? But I do think it's a better description because this book is about the continuing ministry of Jesus to bring good news to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God on the ground. And you know, if we're paying attention, we'll see that Luke tells us this right at the very beginning in those words we read together. You'll see them on the screen here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what do you notice here? Well, most obviously, we discover right at the beginning that, that Acts is not a new standalone story. It's a sequel. 
It's the Gospel of Luke 2. It's a continuation of that story he began in his Gospel. But there's a more subtle point here too that we often miss. Did you notice what Luke tells us about that former book? What did it record? It recorded all that Jesus began to do and teach. Not all that he did and taught, but that he began to do and teach. You see, Jesus' earthly ministry, as recorded in the Gospels, was only the beginning. The beginning of his ministry. And Luke is making clear to us that in this book, which we call the Acts of the Apostles, he will give us an account of how Jesus continues to do that work. Jesus continues to teach by his Spirit. And I think this helps me make sense of the disciples' curious question here. Lord, are you at this time going to restore um, the kingdom to Israel? It's one of those questions that doesn't appear to cast the disciples in very flattering light. At least that's how I've always understood it. It's another example of them being just a bit slow on the uptake. It appears that way to us, doesn't it? The disciples seem to, to make the mistake of thinking that Jesus' mission is all about political stuff. In other words, what they're really asking here is, Lord, when are you going to kick the Romans out? But you know, I think that's a little unfair to the disciples. And I, I'm sort of changing my mind on how I interpret this verse. You see, the problem comes for us in verse 3. Because if you look back, you'll see that there we learn What have the disciples been doing for the last 40 days? They've been on an intensive course, a 40-day class with Jesus on the kingdom of God. 40 days with Jesus talking one-to-one about the kingdom of God. Now, I can't imagine the disciples were that slow. If this was before the resurrection when they asked this question, if they'd not just had this amazing tutorial with the risen Christ, then maybe I could believe it. But it seems to me that it makes more sense to interpret their question in the light of what Jesus would have been teaching them about the kingdom of God in that 40-day intensive. And what would he have been teaching them? Well, maybe if we flick back to Luke's former book, to his gospel, it'll give us a clue. Because in chapter 4, we read how Jesus begins his ministry, how he begins teaching about the kingdom of God. And he does that by reading from the prophet Isaiah. In the synagogue, he stands up and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So if Isaiah was the course textbook, something tells me that the disciples would have grasped a really key point about how God was going to bring out his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Isaiah tells us that it begins with a restored Israel. And I don't mean restored in a political sense, but an Israel restored to God in a new covenant relationship with him. And that new relationship was signified by an outpouring of the Spirit. You see, God's plan all along was that Israel would be a light to the nations. We saw this for ourselves, didn't we, when we we journeyed through the life of Abraham, do you remember? God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your family 
so that through your family, I will bring blessing to the whole world. So just maybe when the disciples ask this question the way they do, they're simply using the language of Isaiah. As Tim Mackey, the guy from the Bible Project, some of you might know, as he puts it, they're not thinking in political terms here. They're thinking in new covenant terms. In effect, what they're asking is, so when is the the new covenant Israel, the newly restored Israel, going to be formed so that it will be a light to the nations? Whatever the case, Jesus' response makes clear to us that this is how the mission of God is to unfold. First to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. As Paul would later put it, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And the important thing for all of us in this, the comforting point, is that it is God who determines this pattern. And it is God who empowers the work. Listen to what Jesus says to their question. It's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set, but you will be my witnesses. That's the comforting news, the comforting news that God is on the ground, and it all doesn't depend on us. And it means that the story of Acts is God's story. And you know what that means? The story of Kirkpatrick Memorial is God's story too. So if we find ourselves worrying about the challenge of calling the right minister, we can take comfort that whoever is called here, well, they will be called to do just that, called to serve, called to be a servant of the one who's really in charge, a witness to the one who is writing the 29th chapter of Acts right here among us in Ballyhackamore. That's a comfort, isn't it? It's a comfort to me, but it also brings a challenge. Because if the story of Acts is about God on the ground, well, you know what that means. That means we need to be on the ground too. We need to be moving with God as he goes about his work of bringing life and hope to a world that has been captivated by death. This is what we're being asked to witness to after all, the resurrection of Jesus. We are sent by Jesus to proclaim the good news that by his death and resurrection, well, he's ushering in a new kingdom, a kingdom of life that will undo the kingdom of death. I listened to a reflection by Walter Brueggemann on this chapter in Acts, and he puts this point very powerfully. The quotation's a little bit long, but I want to read it because I think it's really helpful for us to to listen to. The book of Acts, says Brueggemann, is the story of the church moving out into empire. By its words, by its acts of emancipation, the church opens up new possibilities that makes all old possibilities impotent. These people are led by the Spirit to make the claim that God is leading the world into goodness. That God's will for justice is being enacted against all the forces of injustice. That God's will for peace is being enacted against all those who hunger for violence. That God's will for neighborliness 
is on its way out against all those, or is on its way against all those who would exclude the neighbor. That God's promise for generosity is true, despite our fearful scarcity. And he goes on. As the story goes, the powers of death, well, they did their best on that Friday, but they could not prevail. They are shown to be helpless before God's power of life. And so, the church continues to mock death, to celebrate God's will for life that will not be defeated. You know, one of the things I want us all to look out for in the book of Acts is how often what happens to the apostles calls to mind a similar occurrence in the life of Christ. We'll see this in a couple of weeks with Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Luke very deliberately puts words in Stephen's mouth that directly echo the words of Christ on the cross. And when we eventually get to the end of the book at some point, we will see that Luke does the same thing with Paul's unfair trial at Rome. And Luke does this mirroring between the story of the church and the story of Christ on a grand scale too. If we look at the whole structure of Acts, we see that it follows, surprisingly, the the structure of Luke's gospel. In other words, the arc of the church's story follows the arc of Jesus' story. Now, if you're a visual person, maybe this slide up on the screen will help you. You'll see here that Luke's gospel develops in three stages. It begins with Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And and then there's this section where Jesus journeys about for a bit. We we call this the, the travel narratives. Jesus is always on the move, going from this place to that. And then he stops in one particular city, Jerusalem, where we read the Easter story. Now, if you compare this with Acts on this big scale, you'll see that we have this exact same structure. The book again begins with a local ministry, this time in Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judea and Samaria. And then in the second stage, well, once again, it broadens out and we have this series of travel narratives. We call them Paul's missionary journeys. And finally, after all that journeying, we end up in one place, in a specific place, a city with another trial, this time in Rome. And of course, you're way ahead of me this morning because you've realized that Luke signposts this for us at the very beginning. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which for Paul's purposes was Rome. And you see, the reason that Luke structures the history of the early church in this way is to signal something important to us. That if Acts is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus, then we should not be surprised when the story of the church resembles the story of Jesus. Because they're the same story, aren't they? And the flip side of this is that we should be concerned when the character of the church fails to imitate the character of Christ. And I think we thought about that a bit last week, didn't we? Over the next few weeks... We're going to be considering what this all means. And not necessarily by looking at at Peter or Paul or any particular apostle, but by looking at the people around them. By looking at where the Spirit is at work in this story. Because when we do that, 
we discover something. We discover that God's desire is to bring people to himself. People who are outside of the of the, the Jesus community. He wants to draw more people in. And we'll be confronted with a question in all this. Is that our desire too? Do we really desire to share life with others? Do we really desire to love the other as we love our own families? Because that's what the gospel demands of us. And this is where we get to the really uncomfortable and challenging consequence of God on the ground. This is when all this church talk becomes real. Because it requires us to participate in God's radical desire to usher in an alternative community of love and generosity. A community that works to establish God's justice and righteousness by breaking down walls and crossing borders. And as we take stock of this challenge as a church, we need to accept that the church has not always been in step with the Spirit in ushering in this alternative community. One of the things I've been keen to do as I've been reading Acts is to read another perspective on the book of Acts, one that's not like mine. And I discovered a commentary by the black theologian, Willie James Jennings. And he had this to say, which really struck me. The deepest reality of life in the Spirit depicted in the book of Acts is that the disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or to whom they want to go. Indeed, the Spirit seems to always be pressing the disciples to go to those to whom they would in fact strongly never prefer never to share space or a meal or definitely not life together. You see, this is the real challenge of Acts. It shows us a God who desires people, who wants each one of us to have that same desire implanted in our hearts. The desire for those outside of us, outside of our comfortable worlds of culture and politics, class and race. And it exposes the uncomfortable truth that very often we are left playing catch up with the Spirit, fumbling to keep pace with God. That's the great challenge of God on the ground. Because if that's where God is, on the ground, in the messiness of life, that's where we need to be too. Not in our mini Babylons that we talked about last week, looking at everyone else from afar, but down to earth, side by side with our neighbors, with God on the ground. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that that ministry does not depend on us. By your Holy Spirit, you draw people to yourself. And yet, Lord, we are aware, aware too that your desire to use us in this work, um, Lord, we don't always follow through with that. Forgive us if we do not share your desire for people. Forgive us when we have lagged behind your Spirit. 
And so, Father, we ask that in this season, you do a new thing among us. Over the next weeks, implant in us a desire to see your kingdom come. And may that start with a desire to see our church family in this building look more like the community around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing again now, remembering that Christ is leading the church by his Spirit. Jesus, the name high over all. Good morning, folks. I just want to take a few minutes to give you a few updates about congregational life um, and to thank you for your ongoing support. One thing is you will have remembered from last week we were telling you to pray about us conducting interviews for an office manager. Just to let you know, Jane Booth was appointed during the week and she will be taking up post in the start of October. So thank you for that and we look forward to that um, increasing support for this, this sort of central church life. Secondly, can I just echo what Paul was saying about discipleship groups? If anything COVID has taught us is that we long for community and we long to engage one-to-one and with our church family. The New Testament talks about following Christ in community. What I would love to just say at this September and at, at this stage of the church calendar is to offer you a chance to come and be part of a discipleship group. If you've never been part of a discipleship group before, contact me or contact the church office and we can fit you in and get you to be part of that. But the other thing to say is that sometimes, you know, life gets in the way and um, sometimes we can't make um, attending DGs the priority we would necessarily like in life. Can I just offer you a bit of a DG amnesty? We would love folks to be reconnecting at this stage in church life and at this stage with COVID and so on, actually joining in with community. So folks, if you've been um, away from your DG for a bit of time, reconnect this autumn. If you haven't been part of a DG before, get in contact and we would love to plug you in with other folks in the church community. We're going to be thinking a wee bit creatively about how DGs are going to run this September and uh, this autumn time and even into next year. So it would be brilliant if you wanted to join up and be part of that going forward in this church year. Another thing I want to chat to you about is restarting of, of various aspects of congregational life. Thank you for your patience. I know it's been a long wait for some of these things to progress, but actually PCI have changed their guidance slightly, and that has meant that actually um, kids' ministries on a Sunday morning and other things during the week are much more practical at this stage. What, what, just to let you know now, if you look at the church email, there are some taster events being run by the BB um, and GB Extra um, Tots, and those are for us to trial how some of these things work out and see what we can learn from those. And as we test those, then we're going to start doing more and more over the next few weeks. Can I encourage you to continue to pray for us, okay? What we would love is a, um, a godly courage but also a godly um, caution. So we need to try and get the balance between those things as we try and think how best to move forward um, in those. And also wisdom as we try to interpret some of the guidance from the executive, some of the guidance from PCI, and some of the guidance from individual organizations. Can I just thank you again for all of you who are signing up 
on a regular basis for attending church services and stuff like that. This is not how we want church to be, but it's how it has to be for the time being. But it's just to highlight, as we try and develop some of those ministries on a Sunday morning, the logistics of that is going to be a bit of a challenge. And so we would really love you to pay extra care and attention just to signing up so that we know if you're coming and we know how many young people um, from your household will be coming along so we can really plan carefully and safely and wisely how we're going to restart some of those ministries. We also need to make sure that we've got space for folks who just turn up and come on a Sunday morning because we don't want to ever be turning anybody away who's coming and wanting to be part of this community. So thank you for keeping doing that. Very final thing is I just want to update you about our vacancy process, okay? Last time I chatted to you was just before the summer and we had said that Robert had been in contact with several folks who um, we were keen to explore with them as to whether they would want to come further in the process. Robert has been in touch with those folks, and a few folks have said that they would indeed want to come forward and um, go through the next stage of the process, which is an interview process. That is due to happen on the 17th and 18th of September. Can I encourage you yet again to continue to pray for that process as we seek God's guidance in finding the right person to uh, lead us as a congregation going forward. Just as Paul has said this morning, you know, the story of Kirkpatrick is the story of Acts 29. It's God's action in the world. And so we want to keep praying that God's Holy Spirit is guiding this process as we try and seek the person who's going to lead us forward. So that's the update on that. Once we know anything more, I'll be back and chatting to you in due course. Thanks very much. Gareth. Um, We've come to the point in our service where we petition God with our prayers for others. There are many people and situations that we could be praying for, but today we're going to focus on our children and young people returning to school, our church vacancy, and the continued crisis in Afghanistan. And I'm going to use some of the words that the moderator put out this week in relation to praying for, for this situation in Afghanistan. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now to pray for our children, our young people, and others who are in places of learning. We pray that they would have a heart that wants to learn, Lord. For the world is yours, and all things in it speak in their way of you, of your mind, your designs, your artistry, your power, your unfolding purpose. We pray for our children. Bless those who teach with a passion for the subjects they teach and joyful interest and mentorship of their students. We pray for teachers. Bless those who support teaching staff, those who are on boards of governors, those who work in school administration, and those in government who seek to provide guidance to schools, both academically and at this time particularly around public health. We pray especially now that you would help us to trust you in the face of another academic year with the potential for disruption. God, we bring before you our church vacancy. We know that you already know the future of this congregation and you go before us. We thank you for all the work to date in this vacancy from Robert, from Gareth and the other elders and from Paul. We thank you for those who have stood here and faithfully preached your word over the last year. We pray that you would be working now in the heart of our new minister. We pray for the interview process happening later this month, and we ask that you would give us hearts that are humble, discerning, and wise as we seek your heart for this part of Belfast. Lord, we also pray for Afghanistan, for those in the international emergency relief organizations, 
that they would help there be well-coordinated and effective provision of food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical supplies for the fleeing and displaced. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. We pray that they would be salt and light and for the church to be strengthened in the face of persecution. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. We're going to close our service this morning by singing the hymn, Come People of the Risen King. Just stand and sing. As we close our service this morning, I'm going to use the words of Ephesians 3, as it reminds us of the work of Jesus continuing in us through the Holy Spirit. And if anyone sings Slugs and Bugs song, I'm going to try and not sing this. It's really hard. <laughs> I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that it has worked within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.